This episode of Climactic was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We wish to pay our respects to leaders past, present, and emerging, and we look to the traditional owners of this land, who lived in harmony with it for tens of thousands of years, as vital partners in returning to a sustainable way of life. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Before we get into this episode, just a quick programming note straight up the top. This will be the last week that Climactic comes out on a Thursday. Now, don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're just having a change of day. We've realized after doing some research, listening to some expert opinions, and just actually realizing what would best suit us, the show from now on will be coming out on Saturdays. Same time, 5 a.m. local time, but simply Saturday instead of Thursday. That means you can enjoy the episode over your weekend or queue it up for your Monday or Tuesday commutes. That change will take effect this week, and you're going to get not one episode, but two. So if you're enjoying this on-release day on Thursday... Look forward to another one on Saturday, the new release day. Pretty simple stuff. So, hope that's all clear. Look for Climactic every Saturday. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times. I'm your host for today's episode, Mark Spencer, and in this episode I'm bringing you a chat I had with Shannon. Shannon's a young man who lives here in Melbourne in the northern suburb of Coburg who's about to do something pretty remarkable. And in fact, there's quite a lot of parallels between his story and that of last week's guest, Viva Walker. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, episode 50, I'd highly recommend you check that out. Viva actually just this week completed his journey from Amsterdam to Sydney in an electric car. It was a great chat. It was great to have Viva on. And Shannon's doing something not too dissimilar. There's no electric car involved. There's no getting 200 kilometers in one day. But it is community-powered. And it is low carbon. Intrigued? Shannon is behind a project called My Extremely Long Walk for Climate Action. And that should straight away give you some idea about what he's up to. But I sat down with him at the Kathleen Simon Center in North Melbourne to learn more about what this project of his is, why he's doing it, and what we can do to help. So without further ado, here's Shannon. Comfortable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So you've just heard me setting up Shannon with the lapel mic. Now, unfortunately, on this particular day, I didn't have the right cable with me to have my mic turned on, so only his end of the conversation was really recorded in good quality. So what you'll hear now is me asking the questions that I asked him and setting up his answers. So first, I asked Shannon if I had the name right for his project and what that meant. My extremely long walk for climate action. I thought I'd give it a really just unwieldy title for... So people can remember it. I'm sure I could have like been saving, just like exponentially saving my time if the title was half as short. Because writing the hashtags and everything is 
It's time consuming, but that's okay. What What is it all about? It's just me walking from a home in Coburg North to Canberra, um, petition in tow to ask our leaders to act more seriously on climate change. And so that's the project in a nutshell. Shannon walking from Coburg to Canberra. Now, if you're not from Australia or don't have a sense of how long that trip is, it's going to take him 25 days, and it's a distance of nearly 700 kilometers. And so I asked him, how did he get this idea? Well, it's kind of banal because I was just walking along and thought, I have no skill set in the battle against climate change, but I do have these legs and they, they function well, so I can use those. But also I was influenced by Greta Thunberg, who took the train to Dallas instead of flying because she saw that as a low carbon option. And I thought there's no greater low carbon option than walking somewhere. And as well as that, I come from a family where we're pretty good advocates for ourselves and other people. And my mum's a big believer in it. if you don't like something, march up to the counter and you ask to speak to the manager. <laughs> Um, so I felt like this was like a national way in which you could do that. I'm just going to march right up to Canberra and demand to speak to the manager about what's going on. <laughs> Canberra being the, the counter of the nation. Absolutely, yeah. The customer service desk, if you will. But I thought it was also about like the urgency of it, like the fact that I'm not delaying it anymore, that I'm just going to do it. For me, it was about how can we most urgently and most directly say what we need to say to our leaders just go there, just turn up on their doorstep, make them listen. That's the plan. So if the point of the walk is delivering this petition with hopefully thousands of our signatures on it, does the fact that Shannon walked to Canberra to deliver it itself make a big difference? I think so. I think I was thinking about this before and I, I think climate activists all around the country and all around the globe do amazing things in terms of sacrificing their own time and safety, putting their bodies on the line, putting their bodies through crazy things to make the point that deep sacrifice and deep commitment is needed to tackle the climate crisis. And I don't see that type of action happening from climate deniers or fossil fuel advocates. You know, they're all just in boardrooms or behind computer screens just taking a very low stakes approach to a very high stakes issue. So I think the walk and sort of the investment required, which the more I get into it, the more I realise the investment is deep. <laughs> yeah, to me is about sort of doing something that has stakes, a statement about how serious the climate crisis is. We've had the debate on the show quite a bit, like, you know, how, how much can one person do? What's mm. the right thing for, for one person to really expect of themselves to do? Mm -hmm. Just the fact that you're not, you know, you didn't... Like, there's recently been a lot of protests in Canberra. Yeah. So rather than sort of jumping into a car with people who are already going to Canberra or jumping the bus or the train or flying to Canberra to be just another body in a protest... Yeah. The fact that you're sacrificing time, mm -hmm. you know, all this lead up to it, you're sacrificing study time and work time. Mm. Do, do you feel that you doing this walk represents more hopeful impact, mm. like more potential impact on the politicians you speak to than just being another body in a crowd at a protest in Canberra? Well, it's hard to say. You know, I, I'm a big believer in there's no, there's room for all kinds of activism and all kinds of protests. And I think every act of protest contributes to a sort of tide, tide of change. So I would never want to say this is more impactful than that 
or no, we shouldn't be focusing on that. We should be focusing on this. I think there's room for all of it. And really the response we need to climate change is a whole economy, whole society mm. approach where everyone has a sense of their own role, their own jobs that they have to complete in order to tackle the climate crisis. In terms of what I'm doing, firstly, I thought about it in terms of how do I magnify my own impact? How do I more deeply invest my time and my resources and my energy into making what I believe translate into action? And I mean, I, I guess any project can serve as a sort of lightning rod for other people's other people's activism as well. So if I can offer other people an opportunity to act on the climate crisis, then that's, that's great as well. Yeah. So Shannon had said that this idea kind of came to him because he was trying to think of a way that he could really do something about the climate crisis, but he didn't know how. He didn't know where his skills could be best applied. He didn't know what to do. But of course, a lot of us can feel that way sometimes. And the act of getting up, and walking out the door and walking to Canberra, 700 kilometers away, seems like pretty amazing action. And I was really wondering what was fueling that. So I asked Shannon, was this kind of an act of, of desperation? Were you feeling quite, yeah, desperate to see some action on climate change? Yeah, absolutely. I, I made this New Year's resolution to read as much as I could about climate change because I felt that if you were to graph my sort of interest in climate change, it would ebb and flow and there'd be peaks and troughs and I'd engage and then get freaked out and sort of pull back and then engage and pull back. And I just recognised that in myself and was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to just, every time a climate change article pops up on my feed, I'm going to read it. And every time someone asks me, sign this petition, come to this protest, I'm going to say yes, just sort of leaning in rather than leaning away. But I wanted to know his mental state. When he decided to take this action, what was he feeling? Was it desperation? Urgency? Yeah, and so the more I read, the more I realised like the, the climate emergency is so... It touches on every domain of life. Mm. The fossil fuel industries are so embedded in so many areas of our world and they're propped up around the world by politicians who will fight tooth and nail to protect... The expansion of coal and gas and oil industries. So if, you, if you're engaging with the climate crisis and you see that, you just have to act because the cards are stacked against us in terms of the power that's at play in this world. And I feel like, yeah, there was a moment where I felt, oh, I could either just like bend and relent and not not sort of engage with this anymore because I was feeling really powerless or I could stand up and sort of step into my action, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Now, in doing a little bit of research before interviewing Shannon, I knew he was a theater kid, that he liked drama. So I asked him if this desire to do such a radical action, this, this result of just kind of saying yes to any opportunity that came his way in the pursuit of taking action on climate change, if this was secretly his way of auditioning for the starring role in Yes Man 2. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that's... I kind of like to live that way, of recognising where I say no to things because I'm afraid and trying to reverse that. I think that's exciting. I think that's a, a good way to approach life, just jump into things. So, no, not secretly angling for a starring role in a Hollywood movie that 
Likely won't, but definitely should get made. But then I asked if he'd ever done anything of this scale before, in terms of activism. Not of this scale, no. I, I last year made a declaration that I was going to um, call our leaders every day in regards to uh, the refugee crisis and those being held on Manus Island and Nauru, because that's another issue that really concerns me. I have kind of a pattern in the past of making these grand declarations of I'm going to do this and then having to follow through because I've publicly said that I would. But in terms of doing something of this scale and putting myself out there in, in this larger way, um, no, I haven't. And it's, to be honest, like a bit intimidating. Like I've been recently putting out a call in um, some of the local communities that I'm going to be visiting for volunteers and just to receive that sort of public trolling treatment is, is something I'm not used to and mm. it's frustrating and it's um, yeah, intimidating and scary, but I'm not um, pulling back from any of that. I, I think I still have the motivation to be facing it all down. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to know where the tenacity that Shannon was really showing was coming from and whether he could tell me if it was all for the cause or if there'd begun to be some kind of personal ego or kind of a bit of his own credibility on the line. Well, yeah, like we already discussed, the urgency of climate change is pretty... If, if you've read to any level of depth about it, it's unavoidable. And it's like, how can you not act if you really have a grasp on what's happening? But yeah, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't like a personal element to it as well. You know, I, I think I've been someone who's... I'm 29 now, throughout my 20s, like... I've wanted to do everything. I've like flitted from this project to that project to this degree to that degree. And I've, that's just kind of who I am. Like I like getting a taste of everything and I'm very curious. Um, but it has also meant that like I'm, I've been a bit unsettled. So to do things like this walk that really solidify who I am to myself, mm. they're important actions in my life. And I'm excited about that part of it to prove to myself that I can do it. Yeah. So is it kind of like a coming of age, leaving your 20s, solidifying who you are as a person? Is there like kind of like that, that Native American spirit journey or the, the walkabout? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could say that. I mean, yeah, it does have the sense of a bit of a like road movie thing. Yeah, where I learn about myself along the way. Imagining a montage. Yeah, film very that. If it could only go by in the blink of a montage, that would be very convenient. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is a bit of a... Like, I'm, I know who I am now. I think it's more about, like, making my actions marry up to my principles. And this is an opportunity to do that. So it really struck me what Shannon said about trying to live his ideals. And honestly, I, I was so struck by that, it really made me rethink some things in my own life where I aspire and I support and I empathize with such big ideals, but some of the way in which I'm living might not line up with those. So I was curious to know if anyone else in Shannon's orbit had found that to be quite an interesting thought, if they'd felt challenged and kind of made to think if they were also living their ideals. Well, it's funny, I've tried to sort of downplay the personal side of it, which I don't know if that's smart in terms of imbuing the project with the stuff that it needs to inspire other people to action. But I was cautioned early on by a couple of people to put the issues first and put myself second, to not 
sort of present myself as some sort of climate hero, which I very much would not want to be perceived as. And given how much I'm speaking about the fact that the walk's community-powered and although I'm the one doing the walking, there's a lot of people that are helping me achieve the project. And also the fact that I speak a lot about that we all have a role to play. Yeah, I've made a conscious decision not to speak too much about the personal side of the whole project. So I've been watching Shannon's online campaign, his drive for signatures for his petition kind of unroll online for a couple months now. And it's been a test case, like a a case study in tenacity and perseverance. Because it's been a lot of times I've been the first person to like something, or even sometimes the only. But Shannon stuck with it. And I've been really inspired by him. And I think sometimes the kind of lack of response can be a lot more about message saturation of his audience, rather than how good a job Shannon's doing. Because I have been really impressed at the quality of his campaign. But I asked him if he's ever come close to burning out and giving up or getting dispirited. Um, it hasn't happened yet. There's been like moments where I've been fatigued and because I'm not a really a big social media person. I'm not really a big social person, to be honest with you. Like I'm pretty introverted. So yeah, putting all of my business out there and putting all of these things that I care about out there and asking people to care along with me can be a pretty exhausting process at times. But... You just have to keep going because, you know, what other option is there? Shannon's also been out door knocking, and I know a lot of you listening will also be out there door knocking at the moment. But with federal election, with Stop Adani, with the school strike, there's a lot of activism going on right now. And I understand that door knocking is not for everyone. So I especially wanted to get Shannon's opinion on what the door knocking's been like for him. Okay, so the door knocking has been the most dispiriting of the outreach experiences and I think I've kind of reconciled it a bit now but those first couple of times knocking on people's door saying I'm doing this thing it's taking me a lot of time and energy and it's because of this this issue that's putting our entire living world in peril and to have people say I'm not interested you're not interested okay have a nice Sunday like that to me was deeply frustrating and I there were times when I'd walk past someone's house and there were two SUVs in the front driveway and there was, you know, two partners who were each washing their own SUV. I'd come up and I'd say hi, I'd talk about the project, about climate change. And they were like, nah, we're not into that at this time. And just those very stark moments where you're like, wow, for some people the disinterest runs deep. It was pretty, pretty dispiriting. I won't lie. And to be honest, like door knocking has not been the most fruitful of the experiences. Like I think the online outreach and catching people on the street is is a lot better in terms of getting people interested and getting them to sign that petition. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but think there's like a very potent metaphor in trying to reach into someone's world, going to their house, knocking on their door and saying, what do you think about this? And to have them physically retreat. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So it started off pretty rocky, fair to say. But I asked if it's gotten a bit better. They're just the numbers. That's just how people react. And it's like, I could beat myself up because I feel like I'm not doing something right. I'm not being cheery enough. I'm not smiling in a way that doesn't make people want to get me off their lawn or whatever. But 
at, at the end of the day, like, I don't have time. Like, you're not, not interested. Okay, I'm not going to stand here for 10 minutes trying to convince you. Like, I'll just go to the next door. I think that's got to be the nature of outreach and activism at this time is like, go where you can get the votes, where you can get the signatures, where you can get people interested. You know, those people who are on the wrong side of history, frankly, are either going to wake up or they're not. But we can't wait for them. But I understand Shannon hadn't been out door knocking alone. And I wanted to know if doing it with other people had made it easier. So people coming door knocking with me have mostly been friends and they've been really amazing. And I see some of them doing it and they're a lot more resilient and a lot more bubbly. And they're a great asset because they know what they're doing in terms of people to people stuff. So that's, it's been really appreciated having them come out. So now to the fun part, the logistics of this walk. How is he going to do it? What is he planning on? What's it going to look like? This is the grilling I get from my family every time I go home. <laughs> so hopefully I have some decent answers for you and my mom. Sorry to be your surrogate, but So I decided to work backwards with him and to start when he comes into Canberra after a 700-kilometer walk. Did he want it to be this triumphant, victorious, Forest Gump-like moment. And that would be amazing. Um, I'm not sure how likely I, that is because I am... Because the walk is so long, I can't ask people to come the whole distance with me. But we'll see how we go. Like, to me, the most important thing is that I am going to be carrying the voices of people in my local community and all the communities that I pass through in the form of the petition. So that's very much about, like, if you can't be with me... I'll make sure you're heard as well. But, you know, the interest is building day by day, and if, if there can be a tsunami of people on Parliament House the day I arrive, that would be amazing. We'll see how we go. But before he gets to Canberra, Shannon's going to go through a lot of small towns in regional Victoria. Now, the walk itself is meant to be community-powered and low-carbon. And I wanted to ask Shannon what exactly that meant. So the community-powered part of it is... Logistically, it's asking for people to host me in the, in the town so I don't have to carry a ton of camping equipment with me, but also so I can engage with local communities and hear what's being done there in terms of climate action. And it's also so someone on the ground can help me collect signatures on the petition before I get there. But ideologically, what it's about is something I've kind of already said before, which is there's the individual side of our actions in the climate battle, which is all the like personal lifestyle change stuff. But then there's also a flip side to each of those individual actions and a way to take them national, global, whatever. In asking community members to help me, it's, it's saying to both those communities and to our leaders that communities are really strong and powerful and interested in fighting climate change and prepared to make the sacrifices, to dig deep and to really make an impact. So while I'll be doing the walk largely individually, it's not without help. And I'm a big believer in everyone has a role to play here. There's the personal lifestyle changes, which is the low carbon element of things, but there's also what we're all doing together. And the other one of Shannon's goals is for the walk to be low carbon footprint. But I wanted to know if it was realistic in 2019 to have a zero carbon footprint and what he was doing to minimize it. I think so. I mean, like the logistics of getting to a truly zero carbon footprint. There's always going to be someone out there who's be like, ah, but you didn't think of this. Oh, so you breathed. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that carbon dioxide, how do you account for it? I'd be planting trees along the way, just carrying with me. I'll breathe directly into a little shrub that I take with me. No, so I've said it's low carbon because I don't want to be unreasonable, um, but I do want to try as hard as I can to make my carbon footprint very low. Mm -hmm. And some of those are lifestyle things that I always do anyway that I'll be just carrying along with me, which is eating vegan because um, the dairy and meat industries and big agriculture have enormous carbon footprints. Um, and, you know, a low plastic lifestyle. I'm, a lot of the stuff I've already got in terms of supplies is secondhand or borrowed or refurbished or re-jigged. <laughs> the things I'm doing at home are already pretty low carbon. And then, to be honest with you, like, in terms of food and stuff along the way, I'm still figuring that out, but I have some ideas. I think maybe once I have more hosts secured, I might talk to them about, can I send you 20 bucks and maybe you get me some, some food from the store, maybe like some bulk nuts or something, you know, bulk dried fruits, which can all be like, like plastic free and without much of a carbon footprint. I want to like eat local produce as much as I can because, you know, Local foods are always a lot better in terms of their carbon footprint. Yeah, you'd hope so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, it's an ongoing process, like, unpicking the logistics of everything and then on top of that, how to make it low carbon. But it is something I'm committed to. So by this stage, I was super excited about Shannon's walk. I really wanted to get on board. I really wanted to help. And I bet you do too. So now to the fun part. What can we as the climate community do to help Shannon on his extremely long walk for climate action? Well, there is the petition, which is the big one. If you're really keen, you can also download a paper copy of the petition on the website and um, collect signatures for me as well. For me, for us, for the climate. That would actually be an amazing help. I've got a copy of the petition online that has space for 100 signatures, and I feel like that's pretty reasonable for the average person to just incidentally carry that round with them and gather signatures from friends, family, people they run into. It doesn't have to be in Canberra until I am, which is May 14th. So it's quite a lot of time if you just casually collect signatures. You don't need to be too aggressive about it. So that would be an amazing, amazing help. Like me across all the social medias, it's my extremely long walk for climate action on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm always posting about different volunteer opportunities and things I need help with. Take a look at the website at myextremelylongwalk.com and see the route that I'm taking. And if there's any place names that you recognize and you know people there, get in contact with them, see if they can offer hosting or gathering signatures on the petition themselves or just general support. And yeah, just share stuff. Just talk about it, put it on social media, get it out there. That would all be incredible. So then I asked Shannon a dumb question, and I, I prefaced it with the fact it was a dumb question. But I was genuinely curious. Why was this petition so important? Why was it such an important part of this amazing action? Well, so it's a parliamentary petition, and this is something I didn't know before starting the walk, but there's a petitions committee that you can send a properly formatted petition to, and it will make sure that it's tabled in parliament it will be discussed within Parliament and then the relevant ministers by law have to develop a response to all of the demands that you've laid out. I didn't know this, that you could speak so directly to our politicians, but there you go. So the more signatures we get on the petition, basically we 
strengthen our cause and we we send a message that will be discussed in the whole parliament that the community is really galvanised around climate change and we really need to do something about it. Well, we can't wait to have you on again when you come back. I'm excited. And Hopefully my legs are, and my feet are intact. They're going to be ripped. I mean, yeah, like, hopefully. strong. <laughs> or ripped, literally. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll see, one way or another. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Thank you. Pleasure. So there it was, my chat with Shannon Lonane from my extremely long walk for climate action. It was such a great chat with Shannon, but I was really embarrassed that I didn't have my end of the audio very well recorded there. So I sat on this for way too long. And apologies to you, Shannon, that I didn't get this out sooner. But that hasn't stopped Shannon. So when I recorded this with him, maybe a couple months ago, it wasn't long after that that I got to interview Richard Di Natale, leader of the Australian Greens. I had my printed paper copy of Shannon's petition, and I got Richard Di Natale to sign it and got a photo with him doing it, and I thought it was just going to make Shannon's day. Well, I think it did, but then only a couple days after that, there's Shannon meeting Richard Di Natale, and there's Shannon meeting Julian Burnside, the Greens candidate for a Kuyong. Here's Shannon meeting the CEO of the Australian Conservation Foundation. Shannon is killing it. I'm so privileged to have met him. I cannot wait to follow along with his progress on his 25-day walk. I wish him all the best. And I really hope he gets the chance to send in some dispatches from the road, whether it's just recorded musings while he's doing his walk, or it's maybe an interview with one of his hosts, or someone from an environmental group. But even if it's just a chat when Shannon gets back from this amazing trip, I can't wait to have him on Climactic again. Thank you, Shannon, and good luck. And to all of you listening, if you got inspired by this like I did, do go to his website, myextremelylongwalk.com, get your copy of the paper petition, and let's have a race, you and me, to 100 signatures. I'm only at a couple dozen right now, which is pretty poor, and I want you to let me know how you're going. Egg me on. Let's have a bit of competition. Let's get 100 signatures, let's get them in the mail, and let's have them waiting for Shannon when he gets to Canberra on May 14th. All right, this has been Climactic, episode 51. I've been your host, Mark Spencer, and have a great day. We'll be back on Saturday with another episode, and look for a new Climactic episode every Saturday from here on out. Thanks for listening, be well, and take care of each other. This has been a production of Climactic, a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidicaro. Our digital design is by Rose Fidicaro. Our climactic theme is produced by Greg Grassi, and our logo designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times.
The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. studio.